Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. This podcast presents the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to role-playing game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers and of Double Exposure with their amazing game design convention, Metatopia. Episode 122, Kickstarter 2016. Recorded at Metatopia 2016. Presented by Christopher Bedell, Jason Walters, and Mary Poole. Decapage 567. I hope everybody brought your materials with you. Uh, oh, you're in the wrong class. Oh, no. Uh, welcome. This is Kickstarter, uh, Kickstarting and Crowdfunding 101, is I think what that's they ended right. up calling it. Um, and Except for I don't know anything about anything other than Kickstarter. That's fine. Um, yeah, that's, that's true. Have, have you run a non-Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign? Uh, I did. I ran many years ago. We successfully ran uh, um, an Indiegogo campaign sure. to oh, raise okay. money to do some books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, well. Well, now we we'll know ca- stuff. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll circle back around that. Right. that. Yeah. So now we have a full breadth of knowledge as opposed to just Kickstarter. Sure. Do you want to introduce yourself before uh, we we'll go down the line? Uh, I am Jason Walters. I uh, run Indie Press Revolution and also Hero Games and High Rock Press. I am a publisher, promoter, and distributor of role-playing game books. I am Marie Poole, CEO of Lone Shark Games. We do uh, tabletop and live-action games. Uh, our, we are most known for Pathfinder Adventure Card Game, Betrayal at House on the Hill, Widow's Walk Expansion, and uh, um, we also do things such as crazy escape multi-continent escape rooms like we did for the Magic Grand Prix uh, earlier this year. And you do a lot of cool puzzle stuff, too. We do a lot of puzzle stuff. That's right. We have a book called The Maze of Games, um, which is a great book, and we're actually currently working on an escape room version of that. So. Uh, I'm Christopher Vidal. I am the owner of a game company called Greater Than Games. Uh, I make a bunch of games. My most notable one is called Sentinels of the Multiverse, and I have a lot of Kickstarter experience from that game as well as several others. So we'll talk about that stuff. Um, so yeah, we mostly want to just talk about Kickstarter, the why Kickstarter and how Kickstarter. Uh, those are the, the two big Kickstarter questions. Um, is there a particular reason that anyone, either of you went with Kickstarter initially as opposed to more traditional funding methods? Uh, I, I would, well, you know, lack of money. Yeah, right, okay, there, there's that, there's that, there's that. There's that. Uh, I, I think I think Kickstarter. One of the great things about it, as opposed to other crowdfunding sources, is it, it's it's sort of a thing unto itself. There's lots of people that go on to Kickstarter to see what's going on today. I don't think the other platforms have as much of that. I think Kickstarter really has its own fan base. It brings into your project. Right. And there's specifically people who really love going to Kickstarter and seeing what's going on there. Kickstarter is as much an avenue of social media and marketing. Yes. As it is a crowdfunding. Very much platform. so. It's really hard. Yeah. To be yeah. I would say for us, um, we started in 2011. That was uh, your first Kickstarter? No, we, we started um, doing a thing called uh, Kickstarter of the Month 
and we would back a, a Kickstarter of somebody that we knew in the tabletop industry, either closely or remotely. We were just like, this is a really cool project, you should back this, and we would back it as a company, and we started building. That's a really good idea. Yeah, we started building up our, because you know, when you see up in the corner whose campaign this is, and it says Lone Shark Games, and it says how many projects we've backed. Right. We wanted that number to be fairly big before we ever launched one of our own because we wanted to show that we are part of the community. So we did that for about 24 months before we ever launched our first Kickstarter. Um, so we sort of had already built um, built our presence on Kickstarter before, and, and I think that the other crowdfunding things had sort of were cropping up around that time, but we had already sort of put our eggs into the Kickstarter back basket. Sure, sure. Yeah. When, was, when was your first Kickstarter, Tracy? Hmm? When was your first Kickstarter? I think the first thing we ever did on Kickstarter was Book of the Empress. Hey, Shane, what was the first thing Hero did on Kickstarter? Was it Book of the Empress? Uh, I think it was either Book of the Empress or the Mythic Hero. Mm-hmm. That wasn't us, actually. Oh, okay. Deceptively yeah. seems like us. <laughs> so that uh, wasn't the first one. That wasn't it. Um, so we did it because uh, Hero Games, our first one, was having a lot of financial problems, and we had manuscripts finished, laid out, ready, and we couldn't afford to print them. Sure. Mm. So we did one, and it, it, it worked. Oh, hey, I wonder if we could do more of these. Would it, would it work again? And it worked again, and so on. Yeah. So. At tw- and Gen Con 2011, I released my first game, Sentinels of the Multiverse, and the number one question of the convention is, where are the expansions for this game? It's clear that there's more content. Where are they? And it's like, ah, we just printed this game, and that was literally all of our money. Uh, so people wanted another uh, expansion now, and we're like, okay, there's demand. We need to make this thing. So we scrambled, and I did some extra writing, and a couple weeks later, we launched a Kickstarter for the Rook City expansion. So that was our first Kickstarter in fall of 2011, and... We asked for twelve thousand, and we made twenty-seven thousand. And um, back then, that was a big deal. It's still a big deal. Yeah, we, but yeah, not, but, not a big deal. But yeah, we, but, it, but uh, back back then, that was one of the like top board game kickstarters. And now, Kickstarter is this huge thing that is uh, there's currently there's over four hundred games on Kickstarter right now. Yeah. In twenty eleven, it was kind of the wild west. You could just go out there and you're like, hey, I've made a Kickstarter, and we've actually put some work into it, and people are like, oh, this looks good. This looks like a real thing, and nobody's really sure how Kickstarter works. Now it's an established thing. You probably have all... Has anyone here never backed a Kickstarter? Okay. Nice. Token. Um, You're in the front, so you didn't get to see that there were no hands behind you. Um, Like, the Kickstarter... Like, we're all familiar with how Kickstarter works, and the gaming industry in general is not only familiar with how Kickstarter works, but has a lot of expectations to what a gaming Kickstarter does, what it looks like, what the stretch goals are going to be, whether or not, you know, the the various elements of a Kickstarter that aren't necessarily dictated by Kickstarter. Stretch goals and early bird specials and shipping things, none of that's actually dictated or adjudicated by Kickstarter. That's all, like, social conventions that have come out of what people like out of a Kickstarter. Um, And I kind of want to go through and be able to talk about all those parts. I want to be able to talk about the campaigns of Kickstarters, your reward level, whether or not stretch goals, whether or not you know specials of various sorts, um, and um, because all three of us come from very different Kickstarter backgrounds, and yet all three of us have been very successful on Kickstarter, and so I want to be able to make sure that we kind of get all those in there. Um, additionally, I feel like we probably want to save at least twenty minutes or so for questions at the end, yeah, because I want to make sure that we hit the reasons why you're here, not just the things that we like talking about. All right, well, we got thirty minutes. Now. Perfect. That's great. Um, so yeah. Before before we get into the meat of this, I'd, I'd like to throw something out. 
I think fundamental to running a Kickstarter campaign before you even start is budgeting. You can't spend enough time budgeting. You can't spend enough time checking on costs, thinking, just thinking about it, grinding away at it. So before we even go any farther, I'd like to emphasize the real importance of seeing how much it's going to cost to manufacture, produce, Package Fulfill. and ship. Yeah. Right. You don't want to be surprised by like, oh, we made fifty thousand dollars, but we needed fifty five thousand dollars of shipping. Right. Or yeah. or hey, uh, no, I don't think it. I think they fixed this. I don't think it works this way anymore in Kickstarter. But it, uh, maybe it had, maybe it still does. Mm -hmm. that, that, can you still pop over the top of your goal based on shipping? Oh and, yeah, because yeah. shipping is still part of your shipping right. is still part of your so pledge. So it's actually possible. So you got to budget that. As it's well. also possible you succeed and yet fail because you succeeded just barely with all the shipping fees that people have paid you factored in. Right. But you didn't really make the amount you need to, to make it. Yeah, your goal, sh your goal should include shipping. Things change during the Kickstarter. No. Yeah, um, so that's a bad idea. Uh, you, you, you can't change the, you cannot change them on the fly. Some people do a thing where they say, "Okay, here's the deal. We're gonna the Kickstarter. Yeah. You're gonna get your pledges in there, and then after the campaign is over, we're gonna send you out an additional bill, essentially for the shipping, based on where your zip code is, based on where you're located. And that has worked well for some people. In my opinion, that's a lot of extra work, both for the people running the Kickstarter and for the I, backer. I wouldn't do it. Yeah, but a lot of people do, I and it works it. out. But I. I on the world change, like shipping starts to cost more. Oh, absolutely. That happens all the time. You know, you're going to get close, and then what's going to happen is that you're going to have your, your over under. You're going to have your expectations, and you're going to have your, okay, this is going to be plus or minus five or ten dollars or whatever. Uh, usually we, the U.S. post. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say we factor in a little bit of a loss on shipping. Yes. Because we, we are recognizing that essentially people are pre funding. You know, they're essentially buying a game a year before they're going to get it. And they should get some benefit for that. And I'm starting to favor things like that over. Well, we might have overdone it a little bit on Apocrypha for extra content. Let's just say maybe yeah. a little bit. Shane, are we are we going to do questions have now? Have you guys run into any issues with taxes? Well, I'd love to talk about taxes. Actually, I'm an accountant. That is my background, so I'm no, happy to talk about that. But I, I was on, on our Kickstarter was having money in the bank. Transitioning Ta into a new tax considering year, when, yeah, considering when you do your Kickstarter is, I think, I think is important. I was thinking it might be good though if we followed Chris's wonderful idea of flow, and then we just to hold the questions for the last bit. And I will totally, if there are more, if there's a critical mass of people who want to hear about the tax issue, I'm happy to talk about that. Yes. Okay, then I will make sure I mention it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, ba back to shipping for a moment. The, the, if, if you're going to use the U.S. Postal Service for your shipping, they typically raise their rates in late January, early February each year. Yeah. So you'd want, if, you, if you factored in shipping at a certain cost, you want to get that out before they make their adjustment, almost always upwards, though occasionally they're a little more gentle than that, but almost always upwards into January, beginning of February. And if you're shipping books and RPG stuff that's all mostly paper, you should almost certainly be shipping with the U.S. Postal Service and shipping media mail. Because you can use media mail. If yeah. you're not, in my opinion, which is based on a lot of experience, you should not be shipping Postal Service. Um, we ship everything through FedEx, which is slightly more costly, except for in the long run, it's not. Um, I have more reliable shipping, and if you have a, an account with FedEx or with UPS, it's like whichever one's going to play ball with you more, you're going to, over time, build a lot of discounts to your shipping based on uh, volume and things. 
to the point that when we started, and until very recently, all of our Kickstarters, we have charged everybody, hey, this is the shipping amount that we're charging you, and if you're outside the United States, this is the shipping amount we're charging you, and if you're in this country, this is the shipping amount we're charging you. Um, and now, with, with campaigns we've been running recently, we tend to do either free or um, heavily discounted shipping in the U.S. and Canada, because we ship so much content, we ship so much uh, freight and parcel in U.S. and Canada, that FedEx gives us ridiculous discounts. On our most recent Kickstarter, I think we did like $5 shipping U.S. and Canada. And then in, like, if you're in the middle of Australia, no, it's going to cost you like 40 to be serious. Um, but being realistic about what you can afford with shipping is uh, people. A lot of people want to see free shipping on Kickstarter. That's a big thing. But you need to be realistic about it. But also, you can solve a lot of the complaints you're going to get with communication. If you're like, hey, this is what shipping costs, and here's why it costs that much, and here's what we're paying. And if you look, here's our numbers, and this is why we're charging you this for shipping. You will still get complainers, but instead of people complaining at you and saying, ah, oh, shipping's expensive, and then you have to defend yourself or explain it, people will say in the comments, oh, the shipping's expensive, and someone else in the comments will say, yeah, and in the shipping section, they said exactly why. And this is what you want to do in general in Kickstarter, and really with anything you're doing that has that kind of social aspect, um, is create a group of people that are backing your Kickstarter that have all of the information and that can be advocates for you, especially if you have a Kickstarter that takes off and you have a ton of people backing it and a lot of people talking about it. Those people, having those people answer those questions by saying, oh, there's this, there, how does this thing in the campaign work? If somebody pops in the comments and says, I want to pledge at this level, but I want to get this other thing too, and another backer answers them and says, oh, as you can see here on the page, this is how you do it, or in update three, they answer that question, that is less work for you and also more community where everybody is, because part of Kickstarter is creating ownership of a product. That it's not just me that's making this product, we're all making this product together. And so if, uh, giving people the tools to answer those questions and be there as the advocates for the product that they're into is just, it's, it's better marketing and it's better business. It saves you time. It's, it's better for everybody. Um, so th that's, I guess, the, the big thing in general. The big generality of Kickstarter thing is, is most important is communication. We like to announce a Kickstarter that we're going to do months before we announce it. We like to at least have hints about, like, hey, this game's coming soon. We're going to do things soon. Um, the more you can give people, like, you know, this Kickstarter is going live on November 2nd. Oh, great. People are waiting for that. Um, because in a goofy way, much like um, a movie opening, opening weekend is huge for Kickstarter. It doesn't make sense. It shouldn't be the case, but it is. The better launch you have on Kickstarter, the better midpoint you'll have on Kickstarter, and the better end you'll have on Kickstarter. And Kickstarter gives you a pretty interest, a pretty good tool to help with this, which is it has a preview tool. So you can get your project ready. Typically what I do is I show it to a small group of fans that I know well. Uh, then I show it to a larger group of fans. Then I launch. Right. So you can get input, and, and it can be very useful input. People can say, hey, you know, you've got a bunch of typos in here. Or, you know, this doesn't make any sense. You say you're charging this here, and over here you say you're charging something else. Or why are you calling this reward level this here and calling it that there? And you go, oh, right. that wouldn't have looked good. And you can change it before you launch. <laughs> Especially so. because once you launch, you cannot change anything in a reward level that has any backers on it. So once you launch, anything that you've done there is immortalized, and you have to live with it. Um, so definitely... Double check and proofread all of your Kickstarter before you go to launch, but especially the reward levels. If later on somebody's like, oh, hey, in the main campaign thing, you spelled a word wrong or whatever, you can fix that. But in the, um, in the, in the rewards, nope, those are, those are set. Um, 
So you want those notes to not... To, also, they do a really good job. Kickstarter recently implemented a thing that people have been doing by hand, whereas um, you can put bulleted lists in the rewards of what everybody's getting at what tier. Um, so people used to just kind of make those uh, within the, the rewards themselves, but it, Kickstarter's like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. So now you can, in your rewards, you can uh, break out the shipping to be a separate charge. So it's like, hey, this is how much this reward level is, and it includes this much shipping in these countries, and you can go through and set those all individually. Um, and you can put in you, you, all of the different things. The Kickstarter interface is way better now than it was even a year and a half ago. So um, if you're looking to make a Kickstarter, I would suggest making that Kickstarter like months. Just create it months before you're ever going to launch it and start putting stuff in and start moving things around. Um, show it to a, a small, dedicated group of people yeah. that you know are going to give you that high-level feedback about not whether, oh, I'd back this, but like, okay, but like what parts work, what parts don't. Um, the other thing that Maria's pulled up is this fantastic tool that you can probably maybe see. Maybe that you can see it. Over the course of the Kickstarter campaign. It tells you an arc. It's going to show you what, uh, how much you made on each day and where your sources of, of clicks came from. Where this person found your Kickstarter through an email or through Twitter or through Facebook or whatever. So you can see what's effective to you. This is what's here that shows like the percent of direct traffic through Kickstarter. Um, that one was 15%. That's really good. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to... The other thing I was going to say is when you look at this arc, see this arc? This arc is, if you look at Lone Shark Games, almost every one of our Kickstarters look like this. I'm going to I'm gonna generalize even further. I think I, so I'm going to, yeah. yeah, I think it goes, so we just did this panel actually at PAX Dev with Luke Crane. He actually also confirmed that this is the arc. That's the arc of Kickstarter. This is the arc. Every successful Kickstarter has this arc. So you've got the initial... Your 48 hours. Got your initial 48 hours. That looks good. And then it kind of does this. You don't want it to do this. If right. you look at Apocrypha, it did kind of, because I can get into why that happened, because <laughs> I know exactly why. And then at the end, because there's this th this tool you can do on Kickstarter that gives you the 48-hour reminder. Um, if you're watching a campaign and you, you, you're not sure, I'm not sure if I want to back... I want to see how how like how many how much stretch how far the stretch goals get, and then you go back at the forty eight hour mark. You get this this spike again right at the very end, and yeah, your your first forty eight hours and your last forty eight hours are the biggest part of Kickstarter. It's why for the last two years over April Fool's Day, um, I've run seventy two hour Kickstarters because it's just this delightful whoop arc that does, doesn't have any of the coasting in the middle. We do the first twenty four hours and the final forty eight hours, and that's the whole Kickstarter, and it just goes 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 the entire time. It's really interesting. Um, but yeah, every Kickstarter is going to have this section in the middle in which you kind of slow down. That coasting Can thing... Can see it? Um, that, that coasting section in the middle where it slows down isn't like... You're not doing anything wrong. That is a natural part of Kickstarter in which you're getting your daily backers. And I like here, you've got... Uh, on, on, on this campaign, there's a little... It's coasting along and there's a little bump at some point. And those bumps usually come from the announcement of a, a stretch goal or maybe an add-on or something like that where or maybe a, a major free news site free expansion right here free expansion so a lot of people actually jump in there um, uh, I know that there's that, you know like sometimes you'll have a Kickstarter and someone big retweets it or it gets talked about on some news thing um, and, and you'll see a bump from that um, but in general you've got that nice even arc up to the end um, so thank you for pulling that up sure that's super yeah. helpful if you're doing a 30 day campaign the, the Sargasso Sea Mm -hmm. so I like to think of it. A portion of it usually hits day fifteen. Right around day fifteen, you're like, "What am I? What am I doing wrong? I've totally look at this. This is horrible." <laughs> you're just out in the middle of it. You're like, "Why? Why? 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 Everyone was so excited. I'm only getting a few uh, backers a day, or whatever." Yeah. But yeah, no, it's completely normal. The, the I think the other thing that's really important to know. I'm sorry. Chris, no, you're good. Good. Um, is how do I say this? 
So from our first Kickstarter, which I'm trying to remember, I want to say it was 2012, or it might have been 2013, Um, we did the Maze of Games. It was a book. And then we did Apocrypha in April of 2015. So there was a two-year gap. We also did actually in there an audio version of the Maze of Games. Um, That was a smaller campaign. Um, The... uh, when we, when we launched Apocrypha, we had still been under the impression that, like, we'd been, we read the rules of Kickstarter early on, and the rules of Kickstarter was, this is, you, you should be trying to fund a project that would not actually happen otherwise. So we felt there was a certain level of development that should not occur, because obviously this is not going to happen otherwise, mm-hmm. right? No, not right. Right. Not right at all. So we were not ready with a PDF of our rules. We were not ready with, um, we didn't never had a print and play of it because the Apocrypha is a huge game. It's just, there was, it was, we, there was no way we could get that up. But we didn't have a PDF of the rules and we had spiked. People loved the game and then about a week in, it started to fall because people were like, where are the rules? I was, what, what am I getting here? I backed yeah. this because it looks interesting, but wait, where's my where's, content? Where's the rules? Right. So um, we, I think the art, we, we ended at 333,000, which was. Our internal goal, um, our external goal was 666,000. Sorry, 66. 666665. Oh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> 66,666. Yes, that's the one. And why, I, we were stuck on this alliteration thing. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but we thought it was cute. Um, so we ended actually uh, pretty close to the $333,333, um, which was about our external goal. But I think without that dip in the middle, we probably would have hit closer to a half a million. Yeah. Um, so that that not ha- being prepared in that way sort of co- probably cost us a decent amount. In general, talking about funding goals and funding amounts and things like that, in general, um, you should set your funding goal as low as you can. This is my opinion. I might get some dissension here, and I'm excited to see maybe it comes out. Because people like to back a winning horse. It's dumb. It's really dumb. I've seen so many people like, oh, this campaign, I don't think it's going to fund, so I'm going to cancel my, uh, my pledge. It's like, wait a minute. If the campaign doesn't fund, you're not out any money. That's not how Kickstarter works. But it doesn't matter. People don't want to cancel or don't want a, a, a failed Kickstarter uh, in their history. And they don't want to be part of a thing that doesn't happen. So if I'm making a game, it's like I, for, for me to make the game I want the way I want to make it, I need $20,000. I might put up a, 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 a funding level of fifteen dollars or even $12,000 going, okay, if it only hits the $12,000, I can do a shorter print run, I can use thinner cardstock, um, I, can, I can skimp on these few things, the game will still get made, but if I'm only making $12,000, if I only have like 400 backers on this campaign, then I'm not really making a 5,000 copy print run of this game, am I? I'm doing a, I am doing a smaller game. Um, ideally, any game that I make, um, and this is not the case for everybody, for, but for me, for Greater Than Games, whenever we make a game, we want to print at least 5,000 copies, and we want it in full distribution. By the time that all my backers have it, I should be uh, able to send it on to distributors and retailers. Um, and because everything we make goes into distribution and retail, I don't make 500 copy games. I don't make 1,000 copy games. The smallest print run we do of anything is 5,000 copies. So, as a result, when I'm doing a Kickstarter, I'm looking to hit those kind of numbers. Not to say that I'm looking to hit 5,000 backers, but I want to hit 1,000 backers. 1,000 backers is the amount that I'm shooting for. So, as a result, 
I put a, a lower funding uh, number and I get as low as I can. Like, not that it wouldn't make it. If, 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 that, if that funding number means I can't make the game, that's too low. But you want to make it as low as possible so that you can fund right off the bat, you know, as fund as fast as possible. Because once it's funded, you say, hey, a big advertisement, I made this Kickstarter and it funded in three days. That's huge. People love to hear that. It funded in three days, they must be doing something right. And that's more advertising. And then you have your stretch goals where they have it at different times. I'm, I'm, now, I'm now going to disagree with Christopher. Yes. Uh, on a certain level. Okay, I will say we we do go for the lower goal, but I so I cannot I came into the game industry about five years ago. I've been a lifelong gamer, but I was an accountant before that. So I'm gonna now put on my prudent hat and I'm gonna say you should not lose your home over this. Oh no, yeah, okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. You should you should you should make sure that you can afford to eat when you do this Kickstarter. Okay, so right? no when I said the lowest amount, don't don't put in a year. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I know. He's not trying to tell you not to eat. I understand. I'm not, I don't mean to counter that. But I will say Luke Crane has a very – Luke Crane of Kickstarter has a very strong opinion about this, and he actually feels that you should put in what you need. Don't don't try to play the game. But that said, he's totally right because there is a game, and there is this sort of psychological if it doesn't fund in the first 24 hours. Now, that said, there are several decent campaigns – that have made it, but they didn't blow it out of the water, right? That because they put in, like, so if you look at, like, the Titan series, the Titan series was a 60-day campaign, and the goal was $145,000, um, and he just made it. Yeah. It's And it's a cool idea, you know, nine games over a period of three years that you'll get, and it was a great idea, uh, and it could it, it probably could have done better... I, I love I love Calliope Games. I don't want to say anything ill about it, but I, I I do think that he got hit with that sort of psychological, like this guy's asking for too much money. There's no way I'm going to give him that. Um, there's another thing that can happen, which happened in our last Kickstarter, psychology wise. So we licensed a game, a property, from uh, and and we're co developing, designing with Penny Arcade. Um, so with Mike Perhula from Penny Arcade, a game called Thornwatch. Um, there was a major, like, well, these guys have tons of money. They don't need our money. Like, there was a little bit of that happening. Now, we still funded at $646,000, so I am completely satisfied with this. But there was that sort of element of there's that public impression of because Lone Shark Games is a fairly well-known name in the game industry, and Penny Arcade is, of course, a very well-known name in the gamer industry, in the, in the gamer overall video games and all that and comics that we don't need that money to make this game um, but it was 100% a Lone Shark Games thing we are a very small outfit absolutely could not have made this game without Kickstarter but so you, it's sort of like an understanding what the perception's going to be the other thing that it's really important to keep in mind and many people had to tell me this two days into that particular campaign is People, there are trolls in Kickstarter. There are people who literally go on. They they have multiple usernames. They go on and they nag, 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 and hammer, hammer, hammer to get as much as they possibly can get out of you. And it is really important to remember that you should only promise what you can afford to make. And this is where I don't overpromise. We failed in Apocrypha. So I don't know if anybody in here is an Apocrypha backer. 
This is going to be an amazing game. It's huge. There are 99 scenarios in this game because we way overpromised in our first Kickstarter for this game. We went nuts. It's our magnum opus. It will be divine, and it will take us years to recover, probably. But Sedonia, <laughs> That's the ogre situation. Ogre yeah. was the first big Kickstarter that did that. It, yeah. If I may. Yeah, please. So the world of role-playing game book, books is pretty different from this. So unless your name is John Wick or Fred Hicks, you're not going to have a quarter of a million or half a million dollar Kickstarter or anything like that. That's not going to happen. Um, and the way you should approach it, in my opinion, is not, not so much... It's what the book will look like. It's what kind of art budget you have. It's whether it's color, uh, it's whether it's hardcover, or it's whether you're doing a print-on-demand or after, after offset. You should set your goal to the minimum you need to make a black-and-white softcover print-on-demand. $20,000. Maybe You could maybe even do it after offset at 20000 then you can step up to color, and then you can step up to hardcover. So it's, it's sort of what you were saying, but different. Yeah. Um, you don't it, you don't necessarily need for a role playing game book to print five thousand of them. Matter of fact, I recommend you don't. Right. Yeah. I never do. So um, you're looking at printing one or two thousand at most, maybe a lot less. Do you budget your stretch goals? Ahead of time, because I, I, I love, by the way, that you mentioned the budget, because you're the first person on a Kickstarter panel besides myself who's ever ah. said that. Um, do you budget your your stretch goals ahead of time? It, by, in the sense that, that I know I can afford to do them once yes. I get there? Yes. Yeah, you have to price out. You know, when you do your stretch goals, don't, don't just guess about things. Price out, oh, we're yeah. saying that this will be color. This is the amount of money that it'll actually take to get there. You know, I, I call a printer and discuss it. With right. Yeah. yeah. No. You yeah. can afford what if once you're hitting stretch goals, you can afford a little bit of loss. Where you're like, oh, if we hit ten thousand more dollars, we'll do this thing, and maybe that thing costs you twelve thousand dollars. But you need to remember, you're selling this product to people on Kickstarter for you should be selling a product to Kickstarter for either full MSRP or slightly discounted off of that, which is less than you'd be selling it to a distributor. So uh, you, you you there's a little bit of wiggle room there. Um, you that, at the same time, like Maria's saying. Don't, don't break the bank, and don't put your own money into it. When you're doing a Kickstarter, and yeah, you're like, do you're saying, don't, 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 you know, I'll sell your house one step. And you're farther. actually technically yeah. not yeah. supposed to do that. Well, you're not. Don't, I, I'm not saying don't. Not, when I say don't put your own money into it, I don't mean don't back the Kickstarter yourself. I mean like when the whole, when the whole oh, project yeah, yeah, is yeah. done, don't use your own money. You yeah. definitely shouldn't back your own Kickstarter with a secondary account. I've seen people do this to push their account, their Kickstarter. There was a company a couple of years ago that kickstarted a game. They asked for $12,000, and in the final hours, they were at 11 and something, and they weren't quite going to make it. And then they had like this fantastic backer that backed it for $1,000, and they made it, and it was a big surprise. And everybody was like, yeah, oh, that's great. That's awesome. It was them. This is not public knowledge, but I'm not saying who it was, so it's fine. Um, it was them. They pushed it over themselves, and within a year, their company didn't exist, and they didn't actually get to send all those things out because they were funding their own project, which means they didn't have the money to do the thing they needed to do. They lost 10% of the money that they backed their own Kickstarter for. They lost $100 of that $1,000 to Kickstarter because that's how Kickstarter works. Yeah. Anyway. I'm going to take this one step farther and say one of the things you ought to budget in and you ought to do when you succeed, pay yourself something. Yeah. You're going to earn it. You're going to work for it. Me, it's 10% now. When I do a Kickstarter... When it succeeds, I look at who I have to pay. Usually I'm paying everyone that's working on it 50% up front. I get that out, then I pay myself. I'm like, okay, I'm going to spend months, half a year, yeah. a year oh, yeah. when working you, on this. When you're, especially when your Kickstarter is live. When you, while a Kickstarter is live, it is your full-time job. 
you will have comments to answer, you will have direct messages. It is so much work. If you're like, oh, and while the Kickstarter's live, I can be working on this other thing. No, you can think about that other thing and you can poke it occasionally, but especially if you yourself are the person running the Kickstarter, um, if you've got a team of people, you're trading yeah. off responsibilities, that's good, but if you are the person running a Kickstarter, it is such a huge responsibility. It's huge. I would also recommend, I've heard people say this to me, I'm running a Kickstarter, I'll get that to you a couple days after. No, you won't. <laughs> no, you won't. Take a week off because it is exhausting. Like, it is the, the suck on my soul this last time. Like, it was awesome. We have great backers. I have nothing to complain about. It's just exhausting. There's a lot of comments to reply to, a lot of private messages and questions, um, a lot of back broom sort of jockeying like oh my god can we afford to do this expansion i gotta double check my numbers gotta double check the shipping all of that and it's and then of course all the team meetings where we all disagree and agree and all that stuff so there's music to that whole check the numbers numbers and music to my ears it's it's do that you know i'm not gonna lie there's some guessing involved like when you're on the fly there's you're there's some of it's educated guessing though right like it's not out of nowhere in a vacuum. Eh, well, I'm gonna guess this other guy just paid ten bucks to make his game. No, I, no, I, I like. I actually have a relationship with the printer and. Um, yeah, get your quotes. Get your quotes and your bids in and ahead. You don't have to have the game finished to contact a printer and say, "Look, this is gonna be a box that's this size with yeah. this many cards in it, or a book of this many pages." Right. Yeah, and like. Tell me how much that costs. And a friend will say, it costs this much. And you're like, great. And you'll know how much it costs if you print 1,000 copies versus 2,000 versus 5,000. Like, And have a good relationship with a printer that you can... I mean, it's hard for them because especially... Like, I work with the person in the middle. Um, I like that. I know I'm paying more. But I, I don't... Um, I don't know this world well enough, right? Like, so I appreciate having a printer who, who speaks printer. And I can, they can translate what I'm saying to the actual printing press and, to, and, and they know everything. So I can say, I'm thinking about doing this, a thingamajig like this, and I draw a little picture, and they can, oh yeah, okay, well that's, you know, you want 300 GSM cards and you want, you know, whatever core. And I appreciate that. But one thing I did this last Kickstarter is I, I actually said, okay, just since I'm doing a Kickstarter, I need to know, like, what if I want to upgrade the cards? What's the cost difference here? Okay, what if I want to um, make everything chipboard instead of some of its cardstock? Um, what if I want to spot gloss? What if I want, like, tell me all these different things. And I, and I got sort of estimates so I knew ahead of time what it would cost to add these additional things. For books, let your, I'm sorry, sir, I'll be, wait a second. Let your default for pricing be something like, Lightning source or create space. When I say default, if it, you say to yourself, "Well, if I just creep over X twenty thousand, right. just creep," I mean, I, I bring in twenty one. I, I I just can't afford to do a thousand after offset, but I really only really to 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 fulfill this and to have enough left over to make some money to have a product I put out to market and distribution. I really only need maybe five hundred or seven hundred. Price that out with a print on demand printer. And, and let that be your, your baseline for calculating cost. Yeah. You could probably do better. Yeah. You know, once you've got the cash in your hand, you go, okay, I could do that. Yeah. But maybe I'll shop around after offset, see if I can get a better deal. Let that be your base because you'll know that way. You, at least you have that covered. You the know. thing that I'll is note. Lightning space? Lightning source. Yeah. Lightning, lightning source is sort of one of the really big, nameless, faceless, corporate print-on-demand places. They the uh, create space. They, they both feed into Amazon directly through various print-on-demand ways, but that's a whole other seminar. 
I think that he mentioned is if you have if you bat, if you you creep over and you you get twenty one thousand, and I think that I kind of glossed over earlier. You don't get twenty one thousand. For those of you who don't know, yeah. you lose about ten percent. It used to be flat ten percent, but now it's five percent to Kickstarter and five percent ish to the credit card processing. But budget in, you lose about ten percent of your Kickstarter money. If you make a hundred thousand dollars, you're going to get ninety thousand dollars right. a couple weeks after the Kickstarter ends. So. Well, and you also, depending on where you live, you might need to calculate some sales tax. That's true. That's true. Yes. Um, but. Um, we do this also, also with budgeting, another and again, you probably have a better rule of thumb for this than I do. Wiggle room, budget in some wiggle room. Budget, budget in some money that you do not have allocated five percent, ten percent. That you like? I do I, twenty. Twenty? I do ten. Because Say, well, I, but yeah. I also have a team who loves scope creep. Like that's their favorite thing ever. But uh, but twenty sounds even better. Yeah, budget in something that you do not have allocated financially because things will come up. Yeah. Things will go wrong. So Somebody you will need to pay for things before you necessarily have all your Kickstarter money potentially. Yeah. Uh, but depending on how, depending on your production schedule because it takes or, some time. To or you'll pay someone half to do some work and and they get, they get sick. Yeah. Or 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 they, so they have a car accident or something happens mm -hmm. and then you've lost that that deposit. Now you have to pay someone else to start over again. But that's okay because you have this wiggle room you've already budgeted yeah. in. Yeah. So. No. It, never. Never plan for things to go perfectly. Hope so, for that, but plan for the worst. We've, we've got a couple of questions, so I want to go take those. But there's a few more things that I want to try to hit first. But uh, what, what, you had a question? Uh. -uh. I don't know, just first one, really quick question. Yeah. I am not experienced stuff, so I throw the word offset all the time. Uh, it, this is a, pr a production question. We'll go ahead. Yeah. So there's two, there's really, well, there's way more than two types of printing, but there's two types of printing most of you will deal with. One is print-on-demand, that's digital printing. So um, It's like the printer that's hooked up to your computer, but on a bigger scale. Yeah, and so that, those are the people that will print 50 copies of a book for you, or 100, or one. Um, a lot of things that you buy something through Amazon and you get it, it's an obscure book, and it, it, maybe the print quality, I mean, it's fine, you can read it, maybe the print quality's not quite there. Yeah. That's print-on-demand. After offset is printed with ink, um, uh, and I don't have to Using describe a printing it. press? There's like a big printing press and rollers put on and plates cutters. And, plates and, yeah. and, and there's still that with, with print-on-demand, but it's not electronic. It's, it's literally, and some of you might tell me I'm not describing this well, but it's, it's a completely different process that it's yields much higher quality a product. much higher quality product. But may, maybe you can afford that, maybe you won't be able to. Yeah. So uh, if you said after offset, you mean that when you switch from like... Like your first best run of then the say 50 20 copies to check if it actually works to the actual offset which takes a huge chunk of money. Yeah. Uh, just start working. Well, uh, so a, a, a serious professional printer, when I mean that, I don't mean uh, Lulu or Lightning Source or CreateSpace. These are print on demand printers. They use big digital machines that I don't think, do they really just spit out a book? You just put files in and they spit a book out? They might. Not I quite, not, not quite. quite. They, they, they do all the pages and then they have to move, move right. on to an assembler. Uh, but, but, but the actual printing is basically like a big laser printer. It's not, they don't, I mean, yes, there's ink sort of, but it's not the same. I'm stepping into territory I don't fully understand. But when you're dealing with print runs of 500 copies of a book or more, and you're dealing with a printer using the traditional machines that do yield high-quality products, they'll actually send you a proof. Yeah. Usually it's sort of big, flat, glossy pieces of paper with little binder clips through it. Yeah. And you can go through the proof and either sign off on it. It's usually a legal document attached that says, I, I like this, I'm signing off. Or you can call them back or contact them and say, I, there's problems with this. I don't want to do this. Let's do it again. They'll charge you for that. Oh, there's another charge. Yeah, right. Yeah. Proofs, every, proofs, proofs cost. cost you. Physical proofs cost you. Physical proofs There's cost. two types of physical proofs. There's, there's digital proofs, which, are, which is a physical proof. 
and then there's production proofs. The thing that you do, that uh, James described is a physical proof, as a digital proof, because it is printed okay, digitally um, to, to show the, the layout of the things. A, a production proof is a, a copy of the final thing you're making, and those are a lot more expensive because they actually have to spin up and run all the machines to make that go. Yeah, I, I don't get that. I always get the, the earlier yeah, one, the digital need, proof. The production proof is too late the, yeah. at that point. Yeah, um, but you want that, and it usually costs... It's pretty cheap for black and white, but if you're getting a glossy color book done, they might charge you 150 bucks to get that proof. Is it like one run or is it like two run in general? How, how much? Is you just get one copy check and it's fine? And yes. It's yeah, just one. Yeah. Or you just, or you may make sure again. If you, if, you, if you get the copy and you, you find problems that, that, uh, um, that you find problems with the proof. I found some when we did Aaron Alston Strike Force. That was one of the projects that recently. I noticed that all the legal text giving us permission to use the hero system wasn't there. Oops. So, um, and this is where a relationship with a printer comes in. So I work with Bang Printing a lot. I have for years. I know them personally. Um, I contacted them and said, uh, there, there's something missing we have to put in. And they said, oh, is it just on page three, I think it was? I said, yeah. They said, well, just upload the new file. You can trust us. You know, it's, it's, We won't send you another proof. We won't charge you. Sign off on that proof. Send it back. Upload the new file. We'll just put it in. It'll be fine. And it was. But that's with someone you trust. Right. You know, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a risky trust. move. You've got you to build that relationship. Yeah, that's, that's a built-up relationship. Like, yeah, exactly. Typically, what's going to happen is you're going to say, I have to make some changes, and they're going to say, upload them. It's another $150. Yep. And we'll send you a new proof. But, I mean, budget, so. budget yourself $600 for proofs, and then don't use all of it. Or do, but you probably, you probably won't need that many proofs. But in the grand scheme of things, that $600 is worth, you so, worth so much heartache and headache down the road for having things that, are, that go, to pr go to print in the final book. And, and there's something the print-on-demand printers, like Lightning Source and all those, again, do that I don't recommend which is they'll let you do your proof purely electronically online. Like, you never see a physical product. Yeah, right. just, you do it, they send you a PDF, and sign off on this PDF. It'll be great. We, Don't we, do that. We, we do, we do um, <laughs> those proofs. We do PDF proofs until there's no errors with the PDF proof. Sure, you could do it that way. Right, I'm like, okay. yeah, keep kissing as PDF proofs until there are no errors with the PDF proof. Great, now there's no errors, now send me a, the, phys the physical digital proof. And once I get the physical proof, then I go through it, and if there's no errors on that, then we're good to go. And the, the good thing with the print-on-demand printers is that they will actually send you a single copy, since that's part of what they do, is send right. out single copies. So you don't get like the sort of loose paper with a binder. You get a physical copy of the book from them. And it usually costs $15, $20. But of course, the the, product, the quality of that product is never going to be as high as having an after offset press make a beautiful. I don't know how. I don't know the technical terms, like a book like you'd get from the bookstore. Um, you had some things you want to go over real quick. I just wanted to say uh, a few of the things. I'm gonna I'm gonna explain in art because I know there's a lot of questions and I'm not sure we're gonna hit everything. But I just think, I think you'll agree with my arc here. But maybe we'll not. I might miss a few things. Um, sure, you should need to determine if you want to kickstart, right? Why should you kickstart? Awesome marketing for Tabletop Now. Sure. It's, they have actually helped expand the entire industry, and it's kind of hard to beat. I actually had this conversation with Luke Crane. I was like, one of the things I both love and hate about Kickstarters, I'm not only dependent on, I, I'm, I don't want to be dependent on them for my money. But right now, I am somewhat dependent on them for marketing. So building marketing is something that Lone Shark is a little bit weak at. We tend to be a little bit grassrootsy, and we're working on that. Um, then once you've determined you want to do the Kickstarter, do budget. 
as we've talked about here, include your stretch goals in your budget. The way I do it is I have multiple columns and I actually, because I go crazy, I'm an accountant. I'm gonna take questions in a few minutes if you don't mind if I, if you could hold your question, I'd appreciate it. Um, write your campaign, ask for advice, get everybody to review it, run it, don't get baited, right? Don't get baited by the, the trollers. Uh, and I'm sure Christopher has lots to say about that. Then you make your thing, and then you fulfill your thing. And when these guys are talking about budgeting, I want to just say budget time as well. Mm. When you decide what you're, when you're going to deliver, budget that well because you're going to end up in a position like, well, Lone Shark is currently in a bit of a position here. We have three unfulfilled Kickstarters, um, and we are actively working on them, but we're a bit behind. And, we, and fortunately for us, we have a strong fan base. We communicate very well with our with our backers and tell them what's happening and why. That's super important. Super important. Post-campaign, you must keep communicating. You can't just go silent because then your fans start making stuff up. People who are very passionate about what you're doing are very passionate about what you're doing. And if they don't <laughs> hear anything from you, they will be very passionate about the fact that they're not hearing anything yeah. from you. So if you have been doing a good job communicating during the, during the campaign, one of the things reasons I said it was a full-time uh, job is that during your campaign you should be posting at least weekly updates. We tend to post either two or three times a week updates yeah. saying, here's where things are going, here's where the campaign's going, here's what that means, here's some new information, uh, um, and here's some excerpts from the book, here's this and that and the other, here's some cool art that we're making for yeah. this thing. Um, it keeps the interest going, it keeps that going live. Then the campaign ends and all of a sudden you have nothing to say, that's going to be a little concerning. So we tried to do, like, after campaign ends, we tend to do another couple of updates within the next few weeks. And then we do at least, the, fir the first Tuesday of every month um, at the Greater Than Games headquarters is Kickstarter Update Day, where we write an update to every Kickstarter that has anything that isn't 100% that isn't complete on it. Um, and that way we say, here's what's going on with this, here's where we've been, here's what we're working on, here's the timeline we're working with. And the more, like, we recently posted an update to a Kickstarter called Spirit Island, where we said, hey, things are behind schedule because we got the proofs back and made a bunch of changes. Here's all those changes and here's all the things we did and here's the schedule of why things are pushed back. Yeah. One person was like, oh, I can't believe this. I want this back already. Uh, the, the other like 20 comments that we had are people going, oh, cool. Thank you for taking the time to do it right. I'd rather get this game a month late than wrong. And if, if, you're, if you're very communicative, people will be extremely understanding. And if you don't give them... It, like These people that backed your campaign, that are backing your campaign, they want to give you their money also want to trust you. They gave you their money. Yeah. So give them the tools to do that and they'll be your greatest advocates. Uh, I was going to say as well, when I, and when I also talk about budget time, during the campaign, like we actually, we killed ourselves on Apocrypha. We were, we were answering comments at like 4 o'clock in the morning and we were setting unreasonable expectations. So then when pe people's comments would go unanswered for an hour, like people would start to revolt. So this time on Thornwatch, um, we ran it really differently than we've run it in the past. We hired an outsourced campaign manager to help project manage the process, and she also helped answer those comments. And we said, we're going to answer comments, except for during certain periods, from 10 to 6 uh, every day. And that's when you can, ex on Pacific time, that's when you can expect to hear from us. We believe in family and sleeping and things like that and having a life outside of work. And so that's what, and, and our fans were, were cool with that once, but we were clear. It's actually was one of the FAQs. Yeah. Like th that, you it's can do important it. to schedule time for yourself because it's exhausting. Yeah. You can do it however you want to. Um, on smaller campaigns that I've done, I've definitely answered questions 24 hours a day, but that's me. Don't do that if you don't want to. But it yeah. doesn't really matter if you say, look, I'm only going to answer questions between 2 p.m. and 3 p.m. Central Time. 
as just long as you them. communicate it, anything that you do, anything you want to do that's a little bit different. Um, but I would just, I'm a huge advocate for as much communication as possible because that's what is going to keep people engaged. As, as hard as it is to believe, role-playing game book fans are a little bit more mellow than this. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, but I've never encountered trolling. Yeah, no, I, I actually haven't books. had any trolling on my. The only yeah. trolling I have on mine um, is where people complain about a thing that you're like, "Look, this is the way it's going to be," and I, I, you, I just, you do the best you can. You communicate well, and you don't listen to complaints. We, we had people actually telling us what type of material to actually use. What, ours, like. what, what RPG fans want to see is they want to see the manuscript. Yeah. So when and I don't uh, uh, just a, it's this is a minor thing, but I, I think it's important. I don't believe in that whole one dollar like just give me a dollar but you don't get anything goals. I don't right. I don't like to have any goals where you don't get something. And usually the baseline is you get the PDF. Right. That's like twenty dollars, ten, thirty, whatever you decide. Get the PDF. And then I like to make the manuscript public to all the backers as soon as I can. Then the laid out version in PDF, and then of course finally the print version. But if you get those first two things taken care of, here's the manuscript. Most of them will dig in and read it. Here's it. Here it is in layout. Here's the PDF. Here's what it will look like when it's physically printed. They go ah, and while they still really want that physical book, they're not going to message you every five minutes because they've already feel like they've gotten a bunch of the content. They feel good about it, and they tend to be a lot more than. And it makes sense. It'd be totally different with a board game. Yeah. Well, we do a print and play now. For sure. Yeah. Um, can I ask answer the tax question really quick? Do you guys mind? Do you want to hear that? Yes. Okay. Two 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 types of taxes we need to think about here. One, sales tax, depending on where you are. And this gets really tricky because a lot of taxing authorities don't know yet what to do with Kickstarter. So for instance, you have a thousand dollar level. Now not everybody's gonna have that, but a thousand dollar level, you're gonna get a physical thing that's valued at whatever it is. So let's talk about Thornwatch physical thing is $78. That's, or, uh, actually it was something else. Just make it Let's up. Let's say it's $100, sure. right? And then there's a print, it's another $100. That's $200 value retail of physical product, $800 of service, different taxing things in Washington State, okay? I have 10% tax on the physical items and 2% roughly on the service. That's just Washington State. Um, we also are a destination-based sales tax state. I'm pretty much most every state is. Then you also have federal taxes. This matters. What type of of a of accounting you do matters on this. There's accrual and there's cash. So rather than having an accounting class in here right now because we only have like ten minutes left and we want to answer questions, I'm going to say this very valuable thing. If you are just starting out. You need two service providers in your back pocket. Pay the retainer, whatever. You need an, uh, a tax professional. I highly recommend an enrolled agent. They are, they are required uh, 96 hours of, of um, I'm sorry, 72 hours every two-year period for of continuing education in tax only. So I highly recommend, and they're cheaper generally, but you can also get a CPA. CPA will help you with accounting methods. And a lawyer. A lawyer, a business lawyer. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah. I think you should have those two things, and they can help you talk about these things. So a friend of mine recently who does done a lot of work with us is going to be launching a Kickstarter. He told me, I'm going to launch a Kickstarter in November. I said, are you an accrual-based taxpayer? Because if you are, then you're fine. But if you're a cash basis taxpayer then you're going you're gonna to need to write the check to print that before the year ends, or you are going to pay tax on all 
of that income. Nope. The federal government says it's income. Is, is that just a good rule of thumb, maybe? Yeah. It's a good or rule of thumb. Get, get the money spent. Get, the, get the money spent by the end of your fiscal year, depending on what your entity status is. And now I know I'm speaking gobbledygook if you don't know what I'm talking about. And this is where I say, hire just hire those professionals. You will save yourself, in the long run, so much more money. Yeah, and, and, and similar to the having, an account, uh, having a lawyer and accountant, if you're going to run a Kickstarter, and like, hey, I'm going to run this little, little Kickstarter for a thing that I'm going to make, turn yourself into a company. It's super easy to do. You yeah. can make an LLC for yourself in like an hour with some dollars, not many dollars. And being an LLC, being a company before you go create a Kickstarter means that if slash when something goes wrong, which it might not, but if something goes wrong and like something happens to you and you can't fulfill it and then you're li- you, you, there's legal liabilities, the thing that is legally liable is the company and not you. And in worst case scenario, you can destroy, dissolve that company and you yourself aren't screwed. There's, there, I want to just in say really carefully. I want to say very carefully as for my, I'm not my, a lawyer. my license requires me to say that none of us are actually giving you advice here and you should seek out advice depending on your state because much of what Christopher is saying is true, but it is not true for every state, and it also depends on what um, type of entity you select, and if you have partners, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, go get like, legal advice. Get but... legal advice about what kind of entity you should be. Um, it is not a bad idea, but most states are going to require you, if you're going to do this anyway, to have a business license at the very least. Um, it was, maybe we should go into questions? Questions. Yeah, yeah. Question. Uh, right here. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on it's fine. You should probably. Um, I don't know about some as much for RPGs, but I for board games, you yeah. <laughs> but on board games, you should you should buy ads on BGG. Um, it seems like they're not worth it, and you're like, ah, I'm paying for these ads, and I don't know what my click through is. But you should buy them because if nothing else, you can tell people, no, look, we've got ads on BGG, and they're not that expensive, um, and they're worth it. And spend and have somebody who's actually posting on BGG is not a bad idea yeah. too. Um, also, uh, running a contest on BGG yeah. can be a cool the, thing. There's um, lots of that's actually you can helped do that us. Isn't buying ad space, but in terms of buying ad space, I have found very little that is actually worth it. Banner ads on various websites here and there and the other place. I would say um, Facebook. I, I, I like Facebook boost posts. Yeah, Facebook boost I think posts Facebook did, Facebook did a lot Facebook boost posts is worthwhile. I think Twitter ads also are a good investment. I think I got 9% you, from Facebook. Yeah, you get, they give you lots of data. Like, you can, you'll spend 20 bucks, spend 20 bucks on Facebook boost posts, spend 20 bucks on, on Twitter ads, and they'll tell you how well it's gone. Yeah. And they'll give you a lot of data. Yeah. I've been generally pretty satisfied. You spend 20 here, 10 there, and you get a lot back for it. Nice. 6.38% yeah. of Facebook on us. So uh, earlier you had an example about the uh, Titan team trying to do three games over three years. Do you think they would have done themselves a better service to have their Kickstarter be just three games in one year and then stretch goals for each of the... It's three actually years? three games a year for three years. Three so years. it's nine, right. nine games, yeah. yeah. Uh, so if, if they would have instead had a project that is, we promised three games in one year, Yeah. And if I hit X stretch goal, I'll add another year with another three games. Yep. Y stretch goal. Possibly. It's, they, they, it's they, so they, hard to know. They definitely would have. Um, I, it, I, the, uh, I'm making definite statements. To, but like, if, you, if they ran a campaign for $50,000 instead of $150,000 and said, at, at the $50,000 mark, you get three games in this year. If we hit $100,000, you'll get three games over the next two years. And if you hit our $50,000, we'll get three games over the next three years. that's a much better way around There's it. no way that wouldn't do better. Yeah. Like, I want to say though, it's so hard in hindsight, like how to to determine. Like, so Thornwatch, we did backers, we did backer only. We did not do monetary goals at all, yeah. and we received a lot of criticism about it. But we still 
did a six hundred fifty thousand. We had five thousand one hundred and twenty-seven backers, and we did have to change. We did lower some of the goals because we were a little lofty, and we recognized that and we changed it. But we we still did a decent campaign, and so some some of this is hard to know. And but I will say, we you can correct on the fly. It's not always easy. Um, but again, if you're over communicating, most people are intr- like it. You know, most people are okay with that. You guys are talking about you guys like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Not, not me. Not, 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 yeah. And, and yeah. The, the, the vast majority of the Kickstarters that I do are under $100,000. Okay. Yeah. It's so tempting to look at Kickstarter and see these things like 300% funding, 200% funding. If you keep on posting occasionally, you're like 50% came from Facebook. How much does Kickstarter, like, how much of the marketing work is there? How much of it is just getting it out there? It depends on the type of game. Board games and card games are, are generally bigger, um, excepting like John Wick and Fred Hicks, yeah. than RPGs. Absolutely, right. Um, board games and card games are just a, are, are a bigger category. Um, are, they, they tend to have they tend to have more explosive campaigns. Um, a lot of those because they have a lot of additional add-ons and a lot of additional things. Um, but a, a lot of that, like so, it tends to go. Board and card games are here in terms of size, and RPGs are here in terms of size. And here is minis games. Games that have a lot of minis, especially like you were at a, the stretch goals or lots of extra minis. Yeah. Those are just way huger than board and card. Um, and that's just kind of like the area. So it depends on what kind of game you're doing. Um, that, that tends to create a certain kind of audience. Additionally, like I said at the very beginning, there's over 400 games on Kickstarter right now. So a really important thing that I wanted to get into, but it's been a long time, um, is that it is really important that your Kickstarter is doing something that isn't just already being done. You're making a, yeah, you're making a good game. I assume here that everybody's gonna make a Kickstarter for their game. Their game is good. If it's not, don't don't do it. But assuming you've got a good game, what is, what 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 is special about it? Does it have the art? Is, does it have Jim Lee doing all the art art or something like that? That'd be cool. Or does it have like some sort of thing? It was was it has it been played by a bunch of big things? Like you need to have something that makes your game stand out. It makes it unique. It was made by the Penny Arcade guys. Okay, cool. That's going to create an automatic audience for it. So like you you need to have something that builds the audience for that game. Other than just oh well, Kickstarter builds an audience. Yeah, but Kickstarter is building an audience for four hundred games right now. So. We actually run a puzzle hunt usually during ours too. That helps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how important would you say things like videos are? For extremely, extraordinarily, extremely. I hate it because I'm the, I'm terrible at videos. Fortunately, I have a guy for that now. But videos are like essential, unfortunately, yeah. to Kickstarters. I'm terrible at it, but it doesn't keep me from doing it every time. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, I have time for a follow-up. Like, what goes into it that you think like? So doing it yourself for free. Uh, so there is there's some really decent video software you can just download yeah. for free. There's Windows proprietary one, which is what Windows Video Windows, Windows Movie Maker, Maker or something like that. Perfectly yeah. adequate. I'm, I'm yeah. sure some of you have more background in this, and you're going, "Oh my God, that's not adequate." But <laughs> uh, um, so I, what I like to do is if I get some artwork in in advance for the game, I like to throw the artwork into the video. Uh, I like to throw a little a free, there's all sorts of places you can get free music and free sound effects online, or next to free, you know, for very small amounts of money. Um, uh, I like interviews with the creators. That always goes really well. Um, my, my quick and dirty advice, because we are out of time, my quick and dirty advice on videos for Kickstarter is that the body, all of the super important information needs to be in the text of your Kickstarter. Some people will watch the videos, but the minority of the people who back your Kickstarter will watch your video. So don't have anything that you only say in the video that you don't say right, in the text. Right. 60 to 120 seconds. Yes. Keep the video short. I say under three minutes. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of argument about what, what's good about this one. I tend to think the more it looks like, like a video from... 
well, they used to play videos on MTV, but more that looks like a music video yeah. and just goes, bang, wow, this is great. You should totally support this. Look how great it is. It's a movie trailer. Without much content. Yeah. Uh, that's fine. You can embed into the, into the actual body of the story of your Kickstarter project lengthy interviews and all sorts of video. Man, you could make that as long as you want. You Gameplay just, videos. And, yeah, you can yeah. just put it over in, in YouTube and insert it in. So you can have your own YouTube channel. Put all that gameplay videos in there, like yeah. half an hour of people playing the game or whatever, then insert it into the store. Do we want to quick give our emails that are out?